Eternal Memory won the Sundance World Documentary Jury Prize for its loving portrait of a journalist coping with Alzheimer's. I speak with its director, Maite Alberdi. I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. Maite Alberdi has become Chile's most prominent documentary maker. Her films include Tea Time, about a monthly salon of women, The Grown-Ups, about adults with Down syndrome, and The Mole Agent, that's a comic detective story inside a nursing home. All of Maite's films are characterized by humor and warmth. We spoke on episode 119 about The Mole Agent that went on to be nominated for an Oscar. Her new work is The Eternal Memory. She follows the journalist Augusto Gongora and his wife, Paulina Uratia, as they cope with Augusto's experience with Alzheimer's syndrome. Augusto once had a thriving career as a television journalist and author of books. During the dictatorship of Pinochet from 1973 to 1990, many journalists were imprisoned, killed, or forced into exile. But Augusto persisted through that era by creating clandestine videos that were circulated on VHS tapes by an underground network. His wife, Paulina, is a prominent actress in Chile on stage and television. Nine years ago, Augusto was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at age 62, beginning with gradual memory loss. When Maite first approached him about this project, he still had a presence of mind. In the film, we see him lose his acuity. Paulina has to remind him who she is and who he is. As Augusto's memory declines, Paulina responds to his vulnerability with immense patience and love. The film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January, where MTV Documentary Films bought it for distribution. It's currently playing in theaters and will eventually come to Paramount+. In June, Augusto died at age 71. My interview with Maite took place a few months earlier, so we still speak of him in the present tense. I sat down with her at CPH Docs in Copenhagen. As we began, I was thinking that the best-known Chilean documentary filmmaker for several decades has been Patricio Guzman. He chronicled the 1973 coup against Salvador Allende in the Battle of Chile, and he's lived in exile ever since. Today, Chile has a new generation of directors. I asked Maite to describe the community that helped launch her career. When I was beginning my career, my uh, cinema school was the first one that was refound uh, after dictatorship. They reopened, and I'm the first generation to be in a cinema school after dictatorship. So I think that we have like 20 years of filmmakers that learn by their own and they try to shoot the context and the political uh, situation, like learning by themselves, but without schools that teach cinema. So I, and Patricio Guzman and Ignacio Aguero, like the oldest generation, have the opportunity to study uh, in the university. And then we have like a big gap of people that, learn by themselves. So I, I am the first new generations that study a documentary in a film school. And it's it's 
weird because Augusto Góngora, the main character of The Eternal Memory, was the first person that in Chile made uh, a program in TV about cinema and documentaries in the 90s where there no school or there was not, nobody speaking about culture like the first years after dictatorship and he was like my first approach to cinema and documentaries and that TV program was a school for many people too to to hear about cinema hear about documentary but yeah the 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 generation before than me it was more political in how they affront reality because it was more than an urgent um way to understand documentary like we need to go to the streets and to report and to show yeah so he was an actual teacher of of yours completely like it was like my first idea of cinema the first conversations that i heard about uh yeah um our directors dps um the word documentary it was the first time in my life that i heard it in his program can you tell me about your family under the dictatorship years, uh, you know, what was your experience uh, growing up under Pinochet? Yeah, I I grew up the last years of dictatorship, so it was completely different for another generation because I lived only seven years in dictatorship. So my I was a teenager in democracy, so it was completely different for the previous generation of filmmakers too because. Um, I I hear only the last years of horrors, but it was more open in the dialogue. The people have more conscious. The people were fighting for democracy when I was like five years old, and I was yeah seven when democracy came. So I I didn't feel that pain in my in my house but uh, I, I the only thing that I remember it's that the day that Augusto Pinochet goes out as a celebrate like a big celebrating day like yeah it changed the mood of my family in a way so you encountered uh, Augusto as a, uh, a student and Tell me more about that. Tell me more about your experience of him that way. Yeah, it was um, amazing because as we, well, the, the Chilean TV was capped by by dictatorship. And the day that Pinochet went out of the government, uh, that day that Augusto Pinochet gave it to Patricio Elwin, Elwin the first president of democracy uh, in the studio of the public television was the military like giving the news and in the moment that they give it to uh, Patricio Elwin the military goes out of the TV and Augusto Gongra started speaking to the people in that minute so he was the face of democracy for all the public television and for all the Chileans because he was the one that starts narrating that um fact and that day and and he worked hardly making clandestine newscasts during dictatorship that for us it's now the only material that exists as an archive of 
things that were happening that were not in the media because the media didn't report anything. So they make he made that this clandestine newscast and and they make recording that passes in a house and one copy and give it to another. So that was the only image that exists now from that period. And then he was the face of this public television. His fight in democracy was really to try to give the culture and art programs that we never had during dictatorship in public television, like to change the role of public television since that moment. So I think that he has two roles. The first one was to denounce during the dictatorship, like taking risk, and then to show art, cinema, and literature in the TV because we never see that openly. Um, and for me, when I start this film, it was very touching because I tried to convince them both to, to make the film. And Paulina didn't want it, the main character, and he was the one that wanted to do it. And he, he told us, Paulina and me, like, I shooted so many pain so many fragility during dictatorship, so many people open their house to show pain. So why I'm not going to open my house to show my own fragility? Like a registry should exist always, uh, even against anything, like the registers should exist. So I have to show this. So take me back to those early conversations. As I understand it, he started... Uh, showing signs of losing his memory in 2014. When were you beginning to uh, talk to him and you know what was motivating you? Yeah, I read an open interview that he made the day that he got the, di the diagnosis. He communicated to everybody for the first day, like without fears. Um, a couple, like two years after, I, or one year after, I saw him, Paulina hires me. She was director of a university and she hires me to make a master class of cine in her university. And I arrived to my master class and I was, was sitting in the first line. And it was so weird because I heard so much things of cinema from him and he was in my class and it was like, why he's here? And I knew that he has Alzheimer, but I really don't understand it, why she was taking her to my class. And I start my class and he interrupt and make questions all the time. And she allows him. And then I realized the dynamic that she brings him to all her jobs. And they started to be together all day. So he came to my class and she was not embarrassed if he interrupt and not make the correct question. It was like very normal. And all the environment live with that in a normality that for me was like unbelievable because I had shoot so many people with dementia in my career, but all of them were completely isolated. And this was like they built a community in job with friends, with a lot of people that were all taking care of this man and she can continue with her life. And that was the thing that was completely um, uh, blowing my mind. And 
And in that moment, I start calling them and I try to convince them. But that was my my starting point. Where is this in relation to you doing the mole agent? It was before start shooting the mole agent. And it takes time to combine them, like a couple of months. And I start shooting just after we finished the shoot of the mole agent. Yeah. So what was his... Uh, you know, state of clarity at that time uh, when he had this conversation with you saying we should do this. Yeah, he was completely clear about what it's mean, what it's mean the film. I was really clear that I wanted to follow for many years. So probably we are going to see more fragility, more unconscious. And, and he was like, I'm not embarrassing. I have to show it. I have to show it like... Uh, really yeah really clear and he was so clear that he combines Paulina and his daughter and son of doing it and and the good thing it was so an open question all the time for their family and me and the question for all of them and also for me was well well until when because I wanted to shoot it like for 10 years and I said to my producers like I don't have a deadline like I don't want to have a deadline, so I don't need to go to finance now this film because I don't want to have a date to deliver because I want to be there until the end. But I didn't understand in that moment what was the end or what was like. The end was the when he passed away. What like Or in that moment, I thought the end is when he didn't recognize her. But that's never really happened until now. That because in different way he still recognized her, so it was like an open dialogue for all the family of that day. But it was abstract, and we were afraid of something that we were not really understanding. And when that day happened, it was so clear for all of us, or for Pauline and me, that it was it is a day that he stay, and it's on the film like. I'm not anymore, like, I'm not the person that I used to be anymore. And that moment was like, yeah, <laughs> he's telling me that this is the point. And it was the first time in four years that I feel uncomfortable with the camera there. And Paulina feel uncomfortable and it was really clear that, that it's the end of my film, not the end of him and of that relationship, but of me there. So that it's like an answer that time gives to us. So Paulina begins, is a little bit reluctant uh, to be uh, part of this, is persuaded by Augusto's uh, desire to do it. As you went along, you really had to rely on her for a, a lot of things, uh, for access, and at some point you turned to her to be filming uh, situations. So... What were those dynamics uh, like? It's life. It's amazing how you can contract, construct intimacy with the characters because at the beginning she has a lot of doubt. I think that the first year of shooting she was all the time doubting. But when pandemic arrived and she realized it and I said, well, we cannot continue with the film because I until the lockdown was really hard. Like... A year and a half with 
um, lockdown, you cannot go out at night. You have one permission to per week to go out. To go out. So for me, it was like, okay, we stop here. And she said, like, no, we cannot stop. Like, send me the camera. And for he, for she, I think that the camera was a company during dictatorship. And I really, I was really lucky because she was an actress. So she's an actress. So she really know how to put the camera. She really has conscious or of when you have a scene. And we didn't spoke about which kind of situations she decided by herself. And after it seems she sent me audios in the camera like today this happened. I tried to shoot it like this. So she sent me the the record. I look in my house. I call her. So we were like doing the film together and I was really lucky because I think that if pandemic didn't exist probably I will never send a camera to Paulina and I have so intimacy moments that I could never shoot by myself like at 2 a.m. in the middle of some crisis that I will not be there um, and yeah and a lot of people ask me about the limits like which is Probably you receive a lot of material and you have to put limits of what you show. But really, no, because she put the limit. Like, she's the person that most love him in the world. So she clearly decides which things are permitted to show and which ones no. So it was not so difficult in that sense. When I think of your previous films... I think of them being made with a lot of lightheartedness, you know, particularly in Tea Time or uh, The Mole Agent. Um, and uh, th this film certainly has a lot of moments of laughter and love and, uh, and compassion, but it's not as whimsical as you know, Tea Time or uh, Mole Agent. And I wonder how conscious of that uh, you were. Yeah, I don't know if I was so conscious because I never thought that I will have that crisis uh, because there are scenes of crisis in this film that I didn't expect to have because I didn't expect to be there and Paulina should. I think that the most hardest scenes of the film are suited by her. It's not by me. So uh, there is a limit of where can I access that it's moved because she shoots it. So, but in a way, in comparison with my previous film, I think that I have the same feeling that moves me to shoot because when I know them and until now, there are persons that I really want to share time with them and I really want to be with them. And even when I am with them in painful situations, they are really in a good mood and they are really making easy. So it's nothing feel for me shooting so painful as it seems in the paper if you describe the situation. So I have been shooting another films with less painful situations that I don't feel comfortable there. And I want to press a button and disappear and don't be shooting that because I don't feel well. But with them, never. Like, I really want to be with them. And and for me, it's a lesson in a way about relationships. Like, they are so good together that people want to be with them. And I want to be there. 
and I always feel good because they are good. And it's funny because uh, I went with Paulina to Berlin and she made a lot of Q&As. And when people ask me in Sundance, how is Augusto going now? And I say, he's really bad, he's terminally ill, he's bedridden, he's not going well. And when people ask to Paulina, how is Augusto now? In the Q&As, and she said, ah, he's really good, we are happy together. We, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like completely different perception. And it's true, like I go, the situation is terrible, but they are happy and she's happy and she, and it's really exceptional. I know, like not all the couples have to be, live like that but it's a good feeling anyway for me like I have the same feelings of my previous film as I live that situation well I think watching the film is a kind of like lesson in having a frame of mind to face difficult situations I want to talk about the metaphorical memory uh in this film that you know the the memory that Augusto represents of a political uh, time period. Um, and I want to pick up on something you said earlier about these kind of clandestine videos that uh, that he was taking. Can you tell me more about that? Like, you know, what period of time he was filming and how that worked? Yes. Uh, they filming from uh, as soon as Pinochet take the government in uh, 73 until 87 and that all the medias were taken by militars and he and a group of youngest um, journalists start to make clandestine newscasts and they were reporting on everything that was happening in that moment and they made clandestine videos that they distributed in a clandestine way so it was VHS that they give hand by hand. So they have a list of people that they give the VHS and they copy to another list and they copy to another list. So it was like a very handcraft distribution system of that VHS. That, so everybody had the VHS of, on their house and they return and they copy on the same VHS, the next episode. So it was 45 episodes that they made during that period. And what were the, you know, consequences that they might have faced if they, if they were caught? Was there a lot of surveillance? Or? They were really afraid. They, they lost a friend of them during, during that period because he was captured in their office and they live with yeah all the time taking care of themselves but with afraid and yeah it was risky I think all 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 the time but it's the only archive that we have for that period now like does a complete set of those 45 uh, videos exist t uh, today yeah they and yeah and they were they were they keep the 45 but at the same time it's it's funny because they didn't have so much money so they have they does they didn't have so many tapes to record and I was in an interview said that uh, he he went to record the first Chilean concert that was made 
in Argentina like to denounce and that he was going back after recording this uh, concert to Chile and then he realized that his best friend was killed openly that that is a story that he told in the film about how he, his best friend was killed and he has to go to the funeral and shoot and record on the same tape that he recorded the concert so they lose the concert because they have to record the funeral so everything was like that so yeah it's a miracle to have the all the episodes now that they really have conscious of that they were building the historical memory the other day I, I show them the film to their friends that make this newscast with him and they told us like probably this exists because I was to have the speech of historical memory and the conscious of archive all the time and he has conscious that he has to hide and everything and it's funny because at the beginning for me this film was a film about a love story only a love story And everybody told me, well, but you have to put uh, Augusto's past and Augusto's job. It's not. For me, it's a love story. It doesn't care who was Augusto. It's what they are now. But in the meantime, in the road, I realized that they get in love of a person that have a past, that have a story. And, and I realized how concerned was him about memory And I was almost finishing the film when, when she has a rat in her home and she moves a furniture and she finds a hole in the wall where he hidden all the tapes and all the records that she didn't knew that, she never say. And there is a big and important scene of the film where he's speaking about historical memory that appear in the world. So he has the conscious that he has to hide them. But when that archive appeared, for me it was like, okay, he's telling me that it's not only about this couple, it's also about Chilean memory and collective memory. And it's about how some things remind in your body until the end, because for me, he remember a lot of things until the end, like the pains are there, like he really remember his friend that died during dictatorship. He remembers some pain about the relationship too, like there is a scene that she asked to Augusto, how many years have we been to together? And he say, I don't know, 20, 25, like I have Alzheimer, Let, tell me. And then she said, how many, uh, did we have children's? And he said, no, because you didn't want it. And that is true. And was his pain. And he remembered that clearly. So probably he cannot remember dates. He cannot remember numbers. Uh, he can forget names. But pains and emotions reminds. And you feel that with him. I want to follow up on your kind of coming around to the idea that there should be a political, historical Uh, dimension to the story, because I think when, I think for many years, the films that we would see internationally about Chile were uh, very dominated by the politics uh, of, of Chile. 
And one thing that felt um, refreshing in a way, you know, when Tea Time uh, was a real international success, is to you know, it felt like a symbolically a moment that Chilean filmmakers can make other kinds of films, uh, uh, not just political films. And in the body of work that um, that you've built up until now, politics have been felt outside of it. Um, uh, and I wonder how conscious you were of that and and how conscious you felt about opening the door and letting them in to, to this film. Yeah, I think that I was not or I was not intentionally don't put politics in my film because now that in Chile we're discussing about the new constitution the last year, I feel that all my previous film in the topics were in the political discussions of the constitution, like um, all people pensions, uh, people with disabilities, like... I was representing society in a way, and politics. It's in social issues, so of course we were not. I were not making films about dictatorship, probably, but about my society, and that for me, it's political because you see the political issues in micro worlds at the end. Like you see that political decisions in day by day situations, and that. It's my concern as a filmmaker. Can, how can you see in people and in society the government decisions in a way? So uh, in this case, it's different because you have to take care. You have to uh, take care of the characters that you have, and and in this case, to take out that issue that was the thing that I was doing at the beginning with my only love story it was to don't see which character I have uh, in front of me and and in a way this year it's going to be 50 years of uh, anniversary of the dictatorship and it's a film that came I feel with another vision of that because it's Augusto saying like uh, dates we can make commemorative acts this year are going to be full in Chile of commemorative acts of the 50th anniversary but if we don't if we are going only to hear numbers number of deaths number of years uh, and we do not hear experiences and stories and history we are never going to make our mornings, like we have to uh, construct collective memory from our pains and understand what was that. And I think that this film invites to speak about experiences and not only facts, because facts uh, are going to make you repeat the story. It's like, how are you feeling uh, about that? So I think it's like a good film to think after 50 years how you are going to make commemorative acts like how do you put the point of generations that didn't live that like how do you express generation by generation that pain and I think that that is the question of the film and the question after many years of that that story passed.
now that you're in a position where you are sometimes asked to teach classes yourself and you uh, are interacting with a, a younger generation, um, how do you think that the generation that's coming up now in Chile looks at the past or, or doesn't look at the past because they've got their own present to, uh, to worry about? I teach like for 13 years in cinema school and and it's weird because I start feeling a generation at the beginning that really it's sync to the past and then change to a generation that all the stories that they are looking for are in first person and it was really weird for me as a teacher and I have to put like a request to don't tell personal stories like please go (laughs) and then pandemic arrive and they have to make own stories because they cannot go out but but yeah I I I feel that in a way probably the new generations feel that the number of films about the past or dictatorship was already did in a way and yeah, and they are trying to look of other stories, yeah. Or or yeah, we change and you can see that. It's like uh, films about dictatorship, then it's a period in Latin America in general, not only Chile, to first person stories about dictatorship and then the topics completely change. What are you hoping for, looking for, as this film comes out in Chile and and audiences get to see it? I really wanted to push, like, there are a big discussion now about laws for take care person that are completely out of society and the Chilean government is working in that law that it's completely disconnected of dementia law. And for me, I really want to open a discussion of how do we build as the conditions for people that it's taking care of other that can be a child, an old person, because they really get isolated for so many years that it's not only to give a salary to them. It's like, as Paulina do, like how we all take care with them of the people that they have to take care because Paulina always says like, the only way to evolve as a society is for everyone to take care of another human being in some point of our life. So how do we put conscious of that and to know that everybody in some point of our life, we have to take care of someone. So how do we deal with that? And that is for me the questions that uh, I want to put here in Chile. And of course that it's going to be the perfect film for the fifth anniversary and to understand how we build that historical memory. I want to thank Maita Alberti for speaking with me. Her film, The Eternal Memory, is now in theaters and coming to Paramount+. Plus. You can hear our previous interview about the mole agent on episode 119. hope you'll subscribe to Pure Nonfiction's email newsletters. We have producer's notebook on the business of documentary, 
an editor's notebook on storytelling. You can subscribe for free at purenonfiction.net. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan, marketing manager Bella Racklin, our intern Sahai John, and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, and our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. Follow us on Instagram at Pure Nonfiction. Thank you.